Welcome to Inspiration Narratives, a short series of conversation highlighting creatives from underrepresented communities. In honoring their work and creativity, we take a deeper dive into the times, moments, and influences that encapsulates why these creatives do what they do, and if, how, and where they use their medium to celebrate the cultures they come from. These are the stories that need to be told. This is Inspiration Narrative. She's a registered nurse, not retired, um, but she worked at the she worked in the NICU uh, at Jackson Memorial Hospital uh, in, in Florida, and she would always come home with these ma- like these amazing stories of what would happen in the what what would happen, what was the heroic heroic story from various patients, and I think based off of that, I just always sort of knew um, that I had the the sort of this urge to, uh, you know, bring people together and not only bring people together, but also uplift the stories of all the people who are underserved and all the people who my mom sort of helped every day. Right. So these mothers who were having babies, um, and, you know, lived in vulnerable in economically vulnerable communities. And, and so I just always felt that there was a need for me to tell those stories in a very real way. And as I got older and went to college Uh, And after I left university, I was like, you know, I think for me that there's definitely a calling in storytelling. Uh, And then one thing led to another. And once I got in front of a mic and in front of a camera, the rest was history. I knew that this was what I was meant to do. Um, And uh, my story for the Richard Fowler show story, and when I say ours, it's because there's a whole team of folks behind me that helped produce that show. It's a story of sort of um social entrepreneurship it's a story of really you know thinking outside the box it's going against the grand story of triumph it's a story of what can we do different from the marketplace and also how do we knowing that we don't have the resources that the marketplace has and knowing that we have to be different and we have to be better um and, and so now to sit where i sit now and i don't get me wrong we're still there's still i'm still on the treadmill i'm still running um but I think where we sit now, I, I think more and more each day when I see so many LGBTQ youth around the country, especially as we're in Pride Month and we just celebrated DC Black Pride um, Memorial Day weekend, um, where you see thousands of Black LGBTQ folks celebrating their individuality uh, and celebrating their uniqueness, right? And understanding that the LGBTQ people of color space is a space of creativity. It's a space of culture. We are culture. Many things you see played out today, right? All across music, all across fashion, all across um, politics are, were, were things that were created at one point in time by folks who were people of color from the LGBTQ community. And so I just have this sense of urgency now more than ever to really uplift that story uh, and find unique places to tell it because not only does our voice matter, but I think rep- our representation matters and we need to show up everywhere which is why I, I'm proud to be at the Fox News Channel, right? Because we need to show up there and we need to be telling our stories there. Uh, we need to be telling our stories at MSNBC and we should be telling our stories at CNN and we should be telling our stories at ESPN and we should be telling our stories in, in, in Sports Illustrated. We should be telling our stories everywhere because we are part of the American fabric and we're part of the American culture. Is there a moment that kind of confirms you getting into the industry as a creative and like, how you've used your your creative lens and approach and your narrative to get into media and storytelling? 
Like, is there a moment that kind of confirmed that where you were like, oh, shoot, I made it. I'm here. And this is what I'm supposed to be doing. So for me, um, I think the universe or God or spirit, whatever you want to call him or her or it, uh, has a unique way of taking you on a, on a journey. Uh, and so while I was in the process of becoming a storyteller, I actually had to work. I had to keep my day job because I couldn't afford to pay rent and I couldn't afford to eat and I couldn't afford to do all the things you have to do to be an adult, like, like just everyday adulting. Um, and so one of my day jobs, I was working for one of the major labor unions. And part of my job working at the labor union was to work with what they called at the time locals in crisis, which are, you know, parts of the, you know, I was working for the teachers union at the time, unions or local, local localities where they're under crisis, they're under attack, whether it be because they have a superintendent that doesn't, you know, want to work with the teachers or they have a governor or they're under an emergency manager and that is where I really learned the true essence of fighting for the little guy and I learned the true essence of storytelling. I spent a year living in Detroit um, working with the educators there to improve the school conditions and the year that I spent in Detroit fundamentally changed my life right because I realized that each and every day all across this country people get up and they go to work and all they want to do is make the lives of people better um, and we in this country, in parts of this country, make it impossible for them to do that. Uh, and I learned so much from those educators there, their grit, their strength, uh, their integrity, their willingness to fight, that it, it, it fundamentally changed how I saw the world. It changed how I thought about stories. It changed how it changed literally, the, like almost, I would almost say like it rejiggered and sort of recreated my creative DNA to say, wait a minute, to do storytelling effectively, you have to go out there, you have to find these people, and you have to make their faces real. And I think what a lot of times that you see happening, especially in mainstream media, is you hear people talk about the facts, you hear people talk about the figures, but you never hear, talk, hear people talk about the faces that these facts and these figures effect on a daily basis. And I had the privilege to talk about the people that these, the, that I had the privilege to work with the people that these facts and these figures affect. Uh, and it really, it brought like sort of starting from the beginning, like talking about my mother and, you know, being that she was a NICU nurse and working in a NICU and moving that forward to um, working with educators and seeing these real tangible figures and seeing what happens when you don't fund communities, when you don't fund public education, right? How it affects people's real lives really changed how I viewed the world. And more importantly, it sort of inspired me to say, listen, you've got to be out there and you've got to use your gift as, as a storyteller to amplify these people's stories. And more importantly, to make sure that no matter what story you're telling or no matter what factor figure you're talking about, you connect it to a real person. Uh, and so every time, no matter what it is, if you show me a fact, I always respond with, well, where, where's the face to this fact? Show me a face to talk about this fact. I think that is one of the most important things. I think it's something that we don't do enough of uh, is talk about the faces. Because you might never, you'll never remember the fact or the figure, but you will always remember the face. Uh, and that's what effective storytellers do. Yeah. What would you say, like, do you say that those experiences um, shape your 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 overall professional experience as an as a creative and an, a creative entrepreneur in the LGBTQ community and just in general like 
what is your experience as a creative entrepreneur um, and a creative and a creative storyteller and a media person and a, a journalist and a media personality? Like you check all of these boxes, right? So like with that, with those boxes, if you look at just those two or three boxes, or if you just want to look at maybe storytelling, like what is the experience like um, as a creative in the LGBTQ community? When you think about that, is there a sense of pride? And I think it's also like, it's doubled down because uh, you're black and you're part of the LGBTQ community. So what is your experience like just from everything that you've kind of experienced from start to where you are now? Um, and you know, that kind of everything that you've already shared that inspired you to get into this work? Uh, well, I, listen, I'm a sum of all my parts. Um, and so every part of every experience that I have, I sort of brought me to this place and the space that I'm in. And I, and that is, I think those words are truer today than they've ever been. Um, so I literally am a sum of every part of me and uh, every person that I've met and every person that has inspired me. And, and so when I walk into any room or anything, I really try to operate from a place of power, um, no matter if it's a black space or an LGBTQ space or none of those spaces, I, I bring all of me to work. Right. And I don't you don't have to like and I and I don't hide any of it. I don't put I don't put on airs about any of it. I am Richard and Richard has all there's all these things that are connected to him. And those are the sum of all my parts. Um, and and I, and I think that is what has allowed me to be really effective uh, at what I do. And, and I also believe that, you know, sadly, where we are as a country it it, it, it it is as as crazy and as scary as it is to some people. It's actually pretty. It, it it emboldens me because what I find to be the most heart wrenching thing is there's so much that should connect us, but yet the powers that be have put so many boxes and so many barriers in the way. Um, so we don't see each other as people. We see each other through the various lenses and boxes that they put in the way for us to see it. It's almost like when you go to the ophthalmologist's office and they're giving you the eye exam and they put the lenses in front of your eyes as they're asking you to let's read the, the letters on the wall, right? And what society has done and what the powers that be have done is they put all these lenses in front of us so we can't see each other for who we really are. And the best example I like to give all the time is this one, right? So you have a mother in Chicago just lost her son or daughter because of gun violence. Right. And you have a mother in Oklahoma who's just lost their mother, their daughter or their son because of opioid abuse. These two women have for all the reasons in society, and I'm, I'm generalizing, obviously. Right. But for all the reasons they, the world has told these two women, one black, one white, to not see each other as humans or liked individuals. You should vote opposite ways. You shouldn't see each other the same. And I believe that as a storyteller, my job is to move those boxes out the way and to get them to the bare basics of it through clear-eyed realism and the understanding that mother to mother, you guys have both lost children. And you have lost children not because you've lost children because of willful neglect by our society, right? For the mother in Chicago, you lost children because there's been a proliferation of illegal guns all across this country. For the mother in Oklahoma, you've lost children because we have not regulated the drug industry well enough. This is all willful neglect that has caused both your children to lose their lives. You women should first embrace each other and embrace the pain that you guys both carry. But use that pain, that pain as inspiration to say we need a society where we don't lose children based on faulty laws or faulty premises or a lack of understanding. 
Uh, and I think if we as a, as, as a society can come together and say there's so much more that unites us than divides us, then I think we're moving the country in the right direction. And that's what the power of storytelling allows us to do because it allows us to see each other through the story and not through the lenses and the boxes that society has prescribed us to see each other through. That's, that's beautiful. And I think the, the ophthalmologist example you gave uh, just as like that context in, in parallel with the mother's example from two different places is just amazing. And I think it just shows your skill as a storyteller and also your unique perspective. Um, is there a figure, you know, a black figure, a black LGBTQ figure that you looked up to or that you were inspired by um, as you were getting into this work and people that you just sort of admired from afar? Was there somebody that, that, that kind of pegged some of that inspiration or? Uh, that's a good question. So as I got, as I got older, uh, I looked for black inspirations, right? And um, the person that I found was Bayard Rustin, who was sort of, they call him brother on the inside, or they call, there's a lot of different names for Bayard Rustin in history, but his accomplishments speak for themselves. Bayard Rustin was the, one of the, the main organizers of the March on Washington, but because of his LGBTQ how we showed up in the world, he had to be a silent figure, right? Even though he was the person that kept the lights on for the movement. He was the one that raised the money. He was the one that made sure the buses got from, you know, St. Louis to Washington, D.C. during the March on Washington. Uh, and he talks about the same, like that same story I mentioned about the ophthalmologist in his letters. He talks about this idea that if we can, if working class folk, white working class folk, and black working class folk and brown working class folk can come together, we will have a more fair and just society. Um, and as I got older and I began to sort of explore and sort of delve into his works and I read a lot of his letters, I was so inspired and moved by his strength, his courage, and beyond both his strength and his courage. The third thing I would say is his understanding of the time and understanding that he knew that even in his, like, he knew he had to put aside his inner ego to, for this movement, he, to propel the movement forward. And that is a very, very, very powerful thing. And I think if it wasn't for him, people like me wouldn't be allowed to exist and show up to the, where we show up. Um, so he's one of my biggest inspirations. Uh, and I think the other person, oddly enough, um, so there's a, and I, I love Oprah Winfrey, folks who don't know that, now you know. Um, but there is an episode of Masterclass with, James Cameron, the, the director of, Paul Cameron, excuse me, the director of um, Titanic. And in the, in the in, he talks about opportunities. And I think it's, it's so important. And I, I share this story over and over again because I think it's so true. He talks about there's two different types of opportunities. There's opportunities where you walk in and the door is open and the table is set for you. And he said, those opportunities are stepping stone opportunities and they take you to the next level. Uh, and then there's other opportunities, which are opportunities that are game changers. And those opportunities are where the door has a slight crack and you have to use everything that you've got to kick that door down and break in. And your job is to know the difference between those two types of opportunities. Um, and it was very random. I don't remember when I saw the masterclass. I've never seen it again. But those words are literally tattooed on my mind of knowing the different type of opportunities that you're in and delineating which one you're in and knowing how to operate in them. And I think a lot of um, the, success that, the success that I've had 
um, the success my team has had has been attributed to the fact that I'm so, I try to be very keen and centered in what type of opportunity am I in? How do I operate from a place of power when I'm in this opportunity? And is this, a, is this a, a, is the table already set for me in this opportunity or is this an opportunity where I have to knock the doors down? And if it is an opportunity that's knocked the doors down, what is the, like, what's the goal? What's the end goal? Where do I need to be still and receive it? And I think it's just knowing the, like, knowing the notes, right? Like, it's like almost knowing the notes on a piano and knowing what the note is. Uh, and as I get older, I'm beginning to learn that more, uh, of knowing those different types of opportunities and knowing how to use them effectively to sort of not only advance um, Fowler Nation, but to advance all, all the things that we care about. And our, mo our motto at the show has been the same since we started. We do three things. We inform, we empower, and we help folks get their voice back. Uh, and I think the latter of those three is really, really important is helping people get their voice back. There's so many people, whether rich, poor, black, white, gay, straight, lesbian, transgendered, bisexual, queer, who feel as though they don't matter. They feel as though their voice is not relevant. And that we have an obligation to ensure that everybody has a voice and everybody has a say uh, in how our democracy works and how our communities work. And that's the only way our communities thrive. And I think that's what the job of an effective storyteller is, is to ensure that we use stories and we uplift stories to make sure that folks and communities can thrive. That's beautiful. And I love how you pulled inspiration um, from, you know, two different sort of places. What does June and, and Pride Month mean to you as an LGBTQ storyteller? Um, like, what is that month? And I know in New York, we have Stonewall 50. So what does that month mean to you? Um, is there some sort of significance? Um, you know, does it is, it, is it a moment? I know you just celebrated in DC. Um, is there a moment for you guys, uh, for you, not even you guys, but you that, you know, June just sort of encapsulates or even maybe in DC, right? Like, is there a moment that you take, no pun intended, pride in for celebrating pride? No, for sure. So um, beyond, so Pride Month, and to, just to make some delineations, I think it's important that people do know. Um, so Pride Month is pride, right? And so it's a month, it's a month where you celebrate pride and it's usually associated with, I'm trying to, I want to a nice way to say this, um, but it's a very, it's very, it's LGBTQ. So it's the whole entire LGBTQ acronym, all the races, but it's, the best way to put it is it leans minor, it leans majority and does not lean minority. Um, I'm being politically correct. Um, and well, I had the privilege, four months ago, I took on the role as chairing the Center for Black Equity, formerly known as the International Federation of Black Pride. Um, and so we celebrate pride almost all year round throughout the, throughout the world. We have 45 prides in the United States, and we have 10 prides domestically. So that makes 55 prides total. And these are places and spaces, safe spaces, for people of color from the LGBTQ plus space to celebrate themselves and to see people who look just like them. And I think that's really, 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 really important, especially in this day and age when this when our community is under attack like we've never seen before, when trans black murders are up are high, when we still we're still seeing cases in places like Mississippi and Alabama and New Orleans and Louisiana where young women and young men are bold and brave enough to come out to their parents and they're being kicked out their homes. 
Um, and so we're still dealing with the real harms of what it is to be black and gay and black and lesbian and black and bisexual and black and trans in the United States. Um, and, and, you know, I think it's a very, and, and I think what pride is about is this. There's, I think that in the lexicon, right, there's three people's businesses. There's your business, there's my business, and there's God's business. Um, and, and we are all wonderfully made by our creator and I'm wonderfully made and God's business made me a gay man, just is, <laughs> right? Um, and there's my business. And I think what happens so much in our community is we carry so much pain and so much trauma because we're living in somebody else's business, i.e. we're living in mama's business because mama never affirmed us for being LGBTQ, or we're living in daddy's business because daddy told us that, you know, being queer or being gay made you a sissy, or we're living in the pastor's business because he told us that if, you, if you're gay, you're going to hell. And we're living in these other people's business, and we are carrying it with us. And what pride represents for me, the 40, 55 prides that we have all across the world, is an opportunity for you to lay all that business outside for just those couple of days and for you to just be and for you to be affirmed. Uh, and in Washington, D.C., we had about seven to 8,000 LGBTQ people of color, and they just were. They, I mean, they, you know, they wore what they wanted to wear. They, they were just them. And it was so amazing and touching to see them just being them. Um, and it's so, and, 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 and likely there's certain places in the country where they can't just be them. Um, and, and so that's what pride represents. Pride represents an opportunity. Not only are we fighting for health equity and economic health equity and social equity, but the ideal of going into a world where you can just be is an amazing thing. I mean, for some people, they wake up every morning and they just, they just are, and that's great. But for a lot of parts of, for a lot of, parts of the world and a lot of parts of society, they can't be just be. Just be comes with penalties. And so what pride represents is an opportunity for you to just be without penalty or persecution, with love. Um, and so that's what not only Pride Month is about, but for the Center for Black Equity, that's what we fight for every day. That's what every pride is about, whether it's D.C. Black Pride or Atlanta Black Pride or Houston Splash or, you know, Selma Black Pride or whether it's Paris Black Pride or South African Black Pride or Mozambican Black Pride. That's what it's about. It's about just being in a world where just being can cost you your life. This is Inspiration Narrative, an Age of the Creative Original.